Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. Well, let's play, let's play a little game, Redemption. We're going to open up by playing a game. How many of you, whenever you were little kids, whenever you were on a road trip, maybe going on vacation, you and your brother or sister used to play the game, Would You Rather? How many of you remember that game? Did you ever play the game, Would You Rather? Okay, we're going to open up and we're going we're gonna to play Would You Rather. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a little silly, so I'm going to need a little audience participation, okay? The 9 o'clock did really good with this. Let's see how y'all do tonight in the evening service. Let's play this, let's play this game. Okay, Would You Rather be a Houston Astros fan or a Texas Rangers fan? I knew you were my people. Okay, how about this one? Would you rather... It always be summer or always be winter? What do you think? Winter. Ooh, it's getting a little tougher, isn't it? Getting a little tougher. Okay, how about this one? Would you rather see Jesus perform a miracle or hear one of Jesus' sermons? Wow. Okay, good, good, good. Okay, it's going to get a little tougher. How about this one? All right, you have to give up one food forever. You're never going to eat it again, so choose wisely. What about this one? Would you rather never eat tacos... Or never eat pizza. Wow, we know where you're going after service. Okay, one more, one more, one more. How about this one? Um, Would you rather be rich or would you rather be poor? Rich, poor, rich, poor. Okay, that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. Sermon sermon title is called Wisdom for Money. If you're new here to Redemption, we're in a sermon series called um, Wisdom for Life. And we've been studying through the book of Proverbs. One of our favorite ways to study the Bible here at our church is we like to pick a book, study the book, we live in the book, and we get everything out of one single book that we can. And for the last nine weeks or so, we've been in the book of Proverbs, and the series is called Wisdom for Life. And today we're going to talk about wisdom for money, because the way you view and what you do with your money, it really does determine what you do with the rest of your life. So over the course of this series, we've talked about several different subjects. We talked about wisdom for friendships. We've talked about wisdom for manhood, womanhood. We've talked about it for dating and for marriage, for work and for parenting. And the truth is all of those different subjects are really impacted and affected by the way we view and what we do with our money. So just think about it, both men and women, okay, we need, we, we need money. Okay, for those of you who are parents, kids are expensive. Okay, you need to have a little wisdom when it comes to your, your money. When you go to work, why do you go to work? Do you go to work for free? No, why do you go? Because they give you, they give you money. When you're married, one of the biggest fights in any marriage is over their finances. It's about money. And for those of you who are single and you're, you're looking to go on a date, okay, if, you meet a little, if you meet a girl and you want to take her out for a little fun, okay, what are you going to need? You're going to need to pay for that. How do you pay for that? You pay for that with, with money. And if you don't have any money, you're probably not going to get a second date, amen? Okay. All of those things are impacted and affected by the way that we view and what we do with our money. And so today we're going to learn from the richest, most wisest man that has ever lived in the history of the world. His name is Solomon and he wrote a book of the Bible called Proverbs and Proverbs talks a lot about money. And some of you are here today and you're wondering, well, why do we have to talk about money? I'm a guest here today and today's the money sermon. Yay me, I came on the money sermon. Others of you come here today and you're a little jaded and you're a little frustrated when it comes to the church and you think, 
All the church wants is my money. All the church does is talk about money. Why is the church so concerned with money? Why do we have to talk about money? Okay, let me answer that. I'm a pastor. Right, that, that, I love you. I care for you. And my job description comes from 1 Timothy. And here's what my job description says. Preach the word. And so as a pastor, I'm responsible to preach the word. And guess what? This book, it talks about a lot of different things. This book is called a Bible. Okay, it's God's word. It's true. It's trustworthy. It tells us exactly who God is, what God does, what God says, and how we're to live in light of who God is. And when you come to the Bible, you'll notice it talks about a lot of different things. And some of the things it talks about are very crucial and very important to very practical ways of our life. So just think about it. How many of you would say, Belief is very important. How many of you think that it's very important what you believe? Okay, in the Bible, the word believe shows up 247 times. Okay, that's a lot. What about the term prayer? How many of you think prayer is very important? You think prayer is important? Okay, that's the way that we communicate with God. See, the Bible is God's way to speak to us, but prayer is our way to speak to God. Prayer shows up 371 times in the Bible. Okay, what do you think about love? Do you think love's important? Okay, love is very important. It's the, it's, it's the great commandment. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love is a very big deal. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that we love him because he first loved us. The world will know that we are his disciples because of our love. Love is very important. The word love shows up in your Bible 714 times. Okay, but what about money? The Bible talks about money, stewardship, possessions, treasures, things that you own. It talks about money 2,350 times. Okay, it's a very big deal. It's a very important matter. And the Bible talks about it a lot. And so you wonder, well, why do we talk about money? It's because the Bible talks a lot about money. Well, what about Jesus and his ministry? Well, one out of every seven verses in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is teaching about money. About 25% of Jesus' preaching ministry was over the subject of money. And so if I were to preach like Jesus, then at the beginning of every single month, I would, I would preach a sermon all about money. So money's a big deal, not only to God, not only to God's word, but also to God's son, Jesus. Jesus, he talks about money a lot. And so when it comes to the Bible, okay, we want to be faithful. We want to be true to what the Bible says. And so here as a church, we, we don't shy away when it comes to talking about the subject of, of finances. And another reason that's very important is because money is something that's on your heart a lot. The reason we talk about money so much is because you're so worried about your money that you're worried about your finances, you're worried about what comes in and what goes out. It's on your mind, it's in your heart, it's, it's something that you stress about, something that you think about a lot when it comes to your money. And the reason why God talks about it is because you're so worried about it. This week, one of the things I did is on Wednesdays, um, I take a lot of time in prayer for us as a church. And so I got on our Connect page, which is a Facebook group that we use as a church to stay connected throughout the week. And I, I posted and said, hey guys, I'm going to be um, praying for you in the lunch break. And so just post your prayer requests and let me know what I can do in prayer for you. And you know what? In an hour, there was about 55, 60 comments. And you know what? The number one request was this, people's finances. And so I know that for many of us, as a church, this is very timely for you, that you're struggling and you're hurting and you're worried and you're stressed when it comes to your finances. And so God in his providence, he has us speaking about this subject today when it comes to money. And money is not necessarily a good thing and it's not necessarily a bad thing. Okay, money is just a thing, right? Money is a tool that can be used for good. It can also be used for evil. Money is a tool that can help people or it can hurt people. Money can bring anxiety, but money can also bring security. 
Money can bring comfort, but money can also bring conflict. Money could build a house, money could buy a house, and money could also tear a house apart. Okay, money is just a thing. Okay, it could be a good thing or it could be a bad thing, but money is really just a a thing. And, And many of us, we come here today and we find ourselves in different positions. That some of you, you come here today and things are going really great. Others of you, you come here today and things are not so great. Some of you, you come here today and things are looking really good. And then some of you come here today and things aren't going so well. Some of you, you come here today and you just got a promotion, you just got a raise, and then others of you come here today and you just lost your job, you, you just got laid off. Some of you, you come here today and you're saving for retirement, you got a pension, you got a plan, and then others of you, you come here today and you're trying to decide, do I buy groceries or do I buy gas because I can't afford either? And so money is something very important to us, and so it's something that we need to figure out, something we need to understand, something we need to get wisdom around. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to dive into the book of Proverbs, and we're going to see what Proverbs has to say about money. Now, back to the original question. Redemption, would you rather be rich or would you rather be poor? Okay. If we're honest, we would say we would probably rather be rich. We'd rather be, be rich. Now, let me flip the question around. Okay. Let me ask this. Would God rather you be rich or would God rather you be poor? It makes you a little uncomfortable thinking about it, doesn't it? Because, because it's the wrong question. See, we're worried, am I going to be rich or am I going to be poor? We're concerned with whether or not we're going to be rich or if we're going to be poor. But here's what God's concerned with. Are you going to be wise or are you going to be foolish? See, God's not so concerned with riches or poor poverty. God's more concerned with wisdom or with foolishness. And so he's going to show us through the book of Proverbs and through King Solomon what it means for us to be wise with our money. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip to the book of Proverbs. We're going to start off in Proverbs 15. And I'm going to give you five ways to be wise with your money. Originally, I was going to do five ways that you can be foolish, but then I realized we already know we're foolish. Amen. Right, how many of you, you're just like, let's just, let's just get that out there. Okay. I'm kind of foolish with our money. How many of you, you're just like, yep, that's me. That's me. Okay. Altar call comes later. Okay. You know exactly who you are. See, we know that we're going to be foolish with our money. Okay, we know when we buy things we don't need. We know when we're not saving the way that we're supposed to. We know when we're not doing what we're supposed to do with our money. Nobody needs to tell us, hey, you're being an idiot. We, we already know that. Right? Nobody goes out and spends their entire paycheck, has no money saved for retirement, gets a nice know that screen TV and thinks, I am a genius. Okay, no, nobody knows that. We know that we're foolish. And so you don't need another sermon making you feel worse. You need a sermon teaching you how to be wise. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to do wisdom for money. And I'm going to show you five ways for you to be wise with your money. And then I'm going to give you five quick points of application, things that you can do today for you to get wisdom. So the first thing, if you want to be wise with your money, Proverbs tells us in chapter 15 to be a worshiper. Here's how he says it. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. So does God want you to be rich or poor? Wrong question. Here's what God wants you to be. God wants you to be wise. And the wisest thing you will ever do when it comes to your money is this, for you to worship. He says that it's better with a little and having the fear of the Lord than for you to have a lot of money without God and experience a lot of trouble in your life. He says the wisest thing you will ever do is for you to fear the Lord. Now, that's a big mega theme through the book of Proverbs we've been hitting every single week. The fear of the Lord, it does not mean worry. What it means is worship. The fear of the Lord, it puts you in a proper perspective. The fear of the Lord says that God is prominent. God is 
is preeminent, that God is of first and most importance. The fear of the Lord says he is God and I am not. The fear of the Lord helps you see him for exactly who he is, that he is big, that he is great, that he is strong, that he is sovereign, that he is almighty Lord over all, and it creates a respect, it creates a reverence, it creates an awe, an awareness of his presence, which ultimately leads to worship. And he says, the wisest thing you will do with your money is worship the Lord. And here's why this is so important. Because you have two options when it comes to money. That you can either worship money as your God, or you can worship God with your money. You can either worship money as God, or you can worship God with your money. But nevertheless, every single person is a worshiper. We are always constantly worshiping. It's not like some people are worshiping and other people are not worshiping. Everyone is a who or what question is, who or what will you worship with your life? Who or what will you worship? Will you worship money as God or will you worship God with your money? See, worship is not the songs that we sing. Worship is the lives that we live. And who you worship determines whether or not you're foolish or wise, but everybody worships. And the best way for you to figure out who you worship is for you to look in your wallet. So for you, if you spend all of your money on drugs and alcohol and gambling and going out to the bar and cigarettes, guess what you love? Guess what you worship? You worship your addiction. If you spend all of your money trying to please your kids, satisfy your kids, give your kids everything that they asked for, show no discipline towards them, if all you do is just you buy them and, and then just, just pour everything out for them and they're the center of your world and they're the object of your affection, then guess who you worship? You worship your kids. If you spend all of your money on flat screen TVs and new electronics and gadgets and toys and fancy vacations and lavish cars and vehicles that you can't afford, guess what you worship? You worship materialism. If all you're doing is you're just buying a big house and you're creating it to be your own little dominion, your own little private world to where you get to be king, guess who you worship? You worship yourself and you worship your comfort. See, you are a worshiper all the time. Everyone always is a worshiper. The question is, who or what will you worship? And the best way for you to figure out who you worship is to take a look in your wallet. At the end of every month, when you get your bank statement, okay, who goes first? What's top priority? What's numero uno? Who gets the, who gets the most? Who gets the position of glory? Who gets the fear in your life? Okay, that's how you figure out, okay, this is my God. This is my idol. This is who I, I worship. And what determines whether you're foolish or wise is who's in the place of the Lord of your life. Proverbs says, it's better to have a little with God than a lot without him. Proverbs says, it's better for you to worship God with your money than worship money as your God, because if you get it wrong, it's going to bring turmoil in your life. You say, yeah, I got a lot of treasure, but in the end, you're going to experience a lot of trouble. It's better to have a little with the Lord than a lot without him. Proverbs says this, you want to know if you're foolish? you worship money. You want to know if you're wise? You worship the Lord with your money. He says the first most important thing you will understand about money is who do you worship? The second question is is this. Here's the second thing that he says. He says, if you want to be wise, you need to be a steward. He says, know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. For riches do not last forever and neither does a crown endure to all generations. Over the course of your life, you're going to live about 27,000 days and you're going to earn about $2 million. Okay, you're a millionaire. You just don't know it yet. Okay, you're a millionaire, but here's the problem. Here's the thing is it all goes so fast, doesn't it? 
Doesn't it just go so fast? Like you just think about whenever you're 16 years old and you get your first little part-time job. Okay, do you remember that? Where you're selling corn dogs out a window? You're like, yay. And then you get your first paycheck and you're like, oh, hey, I am so rich. I made $8.25 an hour. Yes, this is amazing. And then you're going through high school and you're feeling pretty good for yourself. And then you have to pay for your own gas. And then you graduate and then you go off to college and you take out student loans and you grind it out for four years eating top ramen. And then you get your diploma and you're like, yes, I'm finally going to be rich. I'm going to get a career. I'm going to make 55K. And then all of a sudden, that's not how it works. And you move back into your parents' house and then you grind it out for a little bit longer. And then you move in with three other dudes and you pay $50 a month for rent. And you think this is the way it's supposed to be. And then you meet a girl and she's like, oh, that ain't the way it's supposed to be. And then all of a sudden you, you, you get engaged and then you start getting married. And then as you get married, you buy a house and then you get a car and then you have a kid and then kids are very expensive. And so you go get another job and then you get a promotion and then you got to you know, take care of the kid. And then the kid breaks her arm and now there's insurance. And so you get another promotion and then they need braces and you got to pay for that. And then all of a sudden they're going to college and then you're, you're helping them. And then they're trying to move back in after they graduate. And you're like, nope, I did that. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And then they get married and then they have kids and then they're sending their kids to your house and now you're a grandparent and you're pumping them full of sugar and pumping them full of cookies and bluebell and ice cream and then all of a sudden you retire and you look back on your life and you're like where did it all go because it all goes so fast you only have so many dollars and you only have so many days and the problem is is they all go so fast so here's what a steward does a steward wants to make them last A steward counts the cost. A steward takes consideration of their flock. A steward knows that dollars and days do not last forever. And so you want to use them. You don't want to lose them. You want to invest them. You don't want to waste them. That's the way that a steward begins to think. And a steward understands money differently. See, here's the way that the world thinks about money. The way the world thinks about money is like this. What's mine is mine. That I earned it. I deserve it. Okay, this is my name on the paycheck. Right, I can do whatever I want with it because this is my money and nobody can tell me what to do because this is my money. What's mine is mine. Hey, here's the way the government thinks. What's yours is mine. Thank you. I'll take that. Okay, and here's the way a steward thinks. A steward doesn't think what's mine is mine or what's yours is mine. Here's the way a steward thinks. What's mine really is his. What's mine is here's. Here's, here's what a steward says. Everything I have really belongs to him that my dollars are a gift. My days are a gift. James says, every good and perfect gift comes from above. A steward understands that, that everything he has is a gift that comes from God. And so you need to take account of the accounts that you have because one day you're gonna give an account before him. Because God is the owner, we are the stewards. God is the king and we are his servants and our dollars and days are on loan from him and one day we're gonna have to give them back to him. Dollars and days do not endure forever. One day, you're going to have to stand before the Lord and give an account for how you spent his dollars and how you spent his days. That's the way that a steward thinks. And some of you would balk at this. and You say, no, 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 Byron, that's not the way it works because I work hard. I work hard. I pull myself up by my money, own bootstraps. I earn this. I deserve this. This is, this is, you know, this is my job, my money. I am an autonomous human being. I'm independent. I'm an individual. I am my own person. Nobody can tell me what to do because this is my job. This is my money. This is my life. And God would say, no, okay, that's my life. I loaned it to you. You say, no, no, no. I earned this money. He said, no, 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 no. I got you that job. Who got you that job? God did. You say, no, the lady at the staffing agency, she got me that job. Okay, who got her that job? Okay, God did, so you're welcome. 
say, no, I, I worked hard. Okay, who gave you the brain to do that job? God did. Who gave you the body to do that job? God did. Who gave you the breath in your lungs to wake you up this morning so that you weren't late and lose that job? God did. That's God's job. That's God's paycheck. Thank you, God, for this job. A steward is very grateful and thankful because a steward knows that everything I have ultimately belongs to him. That's the way that a steward thinks. And so just think about it. The car you drive, whose car is that? It's God's car. Say, thank you, God, for this car. Right, that house you live in, that's God's house. Okay, he's just letting you live in there. Say, thank you, God, for this house. That food you eat, that's really God's food. Thank God for his chips and salsa, amen? Okay, when you go on a vacation, that's really God's vacation. Say, thank you, Lord, for taking me on vacation with you. You are so amazing. Okay, thank you, Lord, because everything I have really is a gift from him. This is the way that a steward thinks. And one way that you can begin to think like a steward for you to do this. Okay, take your debit card, pull it out, and over the front of your debit card, just write the name of Jesus on it. So that way, every time you swipe your card, every time you spend a little bit of money, I want you to think, this is Jesus' money. Am I being foolish or wise with Jesus' money? Because these are his dollars and these are his days, and I want to spend them in very wise ways. Okay, this is how a steward thinks. Now, is it a sin for us to spend money? No, not at all. It's not a sin for us to spend money. It's not a sin for us to buy nice things. It's not a sin for me to take my daughter to Chuck E. Cheese and watch her run around and scream. That's not a sin. Okay, that's actually a blessing that comes from the Lord. I believe that God is happy when we do those things. I believe that God is a good father who loves to, to, to see his children have fun and smile. I, I believe it's not a sin for us to pay our you know, car notes. I don't believe it's a sin for us to you know, go out to eat. I don't think any of those things are a sin. But if we do them too much and we do them unwisely, I think God is a little concerned with that. God's not worried if you spend money, but he just doesn't want you to spend it foolishly. God's not worried if you make a little bit of money, but he doesn't want you to spend it on yourself only. God wants to know, is he getting a return on his investment? God wants to know, can he, can he see you as his steward for his resources? Are you using his dollars and his days in strategic of ways? Does this make sense? Do you understand this? Are we, are we tracking together on this? Because the truth is, is it really does go so fast. How many of you get paid on Friday and then you... You're like, yay! And then Monday comes along and you're like, oh. How many of you get paid and you're like, I'm rich! And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm poor. Right? You know why? Because we don't do what Proverbs says and we don't, we don't know well the condition of our flocks. The, the reason why is we don't give attention to the condition of our herds. Because it goes so fast it goes out just as fast as it comes in. Our dollars and days, they do not endure forever. And so here's what we need to do. Okay, we need to be wise. We need to be strategic. We need to be a steward. And one of the best ways for you to be a steward is for you to make a budget. Very simple, practical things. You're like, Byron, how does this have to do with anything with salvation or holiness? Okay, this could be one of the most important things that we do because we're managing his resources. This is a very holy spiritual principle is that you just make a budget for yourself. I'm shocked how many people don't have a, a budget, have never made a budget or a working budget. Okay, I was talking with one guy, and he's in our church, and he makes pretty decent money. This was several months ago, and he came to me, and he said, he said, Byron, at the end of every month, I have no money left over, right? It comes in, and it goes out, and I have no understanding of where it's, where it's going. 
what, what do I need to do? And I said, well, have you ever made a budget? And he said, no, I've never made a budget. I'm like, all right, that's your problem. Let's sit down. Let's figure it out. Let's make a budget for ourselves. And so we sat down and he told me how much money he made. And it's about 36,000. Not too bad, not too you know, great or anything like that. Good entry level career for him. And so we were working through some of his finances. And I said, well, how much money do you pay on your car? And he said, well, well I pay about $400 a month. And I was like, whoa, hold on. Okay, you don't, make, you don't make enough for a $400 car note. He's like, no, no, I pay it every single month. It's really not that big of a deal. And I was like, okay, well, how much do you pay for your mortgage? And we started working everything out. And he's like, well, how much do you pay for your insurance? Okay, between him and his wife, it's another $200 plus maintenance, plus gas, plus, plus all of those things. We started adding up. And I was like, dude, you pay almost $800 a month for your car. Okay, you should be living in it, not driving it, because that's your mortgage. You're like, he's like, I, I had no clue that's where I was going. I was like, okay, let's just keep working through this. So how much money do you spend on groceries? And he's like, don't worry about that one. I don't buy groceries. What? Really? He's like, yep, just put a big old zero there. We barely buy any groceries. He's like, well, how do you eat? Oh, well, we eat out pretty much all the time. I ate out for lunch. I ate out for dinner. And I was like, whoa, there's your problem again. Right? You're spending all this time eating out. Do you know how much money you spend on eating out? The average American spends about $3,000 a year just by eating out. And so if we were adding this guy's budget up, he spent almost $800 a month for his family eating out every single month. And just, just a couple hours, we were able to shave and save this guy about $1,200 a month simply by making a budget. Now, how many of you would love to get a $1,200 a month pay raise? How many of you think that would be incredible? Okay, then give yourself that raise and make yourself a budget. You can promote yourself simply by making a budget for your life. You know that Geico commercial where it's like, you could save $300 a month by switching to Geico. Okay, you could save $300 a month by switching to Proverbs. That's what you could do. When you get wisdom for your money, one of the best principles that you will do is keep a careful attention on your flock. Pay careful attention to your herds. And here's what he's saying. Dollars and days don't last forever. They go so fast, so you need to make them count. A steward understands everything I have is a gift that comes from God. And so I want to use them. I don't want to lose them. I don't want to waste them. I want to invest them because one day I'm going to give an account before him. I'm his steward. He is the owner. Okay, that's wisdom. He says, be a good steward. And then the next thing he says is this. If you want to be wise with your money, number three, to be generous. Proverbs eleven twenty four through 25. One gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessings will be enriched, and the one who waters himself will be watered. If you want to be wise, Proverbs says you need to be generous. I meet a lot of people, and here's what they say. I would love to be generous. I just can't afford to be generous. I meet people who say, I would love to give. I just cannot afford to give. I would love to be a blessing to others, but I need to be blessed myself. Here's what Proverbs would say. You would say that I can't afford to give. How many of you heard that? How many of you said that? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Okay, you would say, I can't afford to give, but Proverbs would say, nope, here's what the truth is. You can't afford not to give. You would say, I can't afford to give, but Proverbs would say, you can't afford not to give. See, we think if I give money away, then I'm going to be, I'm going to have less. Proverbs says, no, no, the more you give, the more you're going to gain. The more you bless others, the more you are going to be blessed. The more you refresh or the more you water, the more you care or take care of others, the more you're going to be cared for and the more you're going to be taken care of. The more generous you are, the more generosity you receive. 
And then the opposite of this, Proverbs says, is some people suffer poverty simply because they have a heart that lacks in generosity. This doesn't make sense to us. We hear this or we read this and, and we think there is no way that this is possible. There is no way. We crunch the numbers. We've done the math. There is no way that this works. How does this even make sense? The more you be, you gain, the more generous you are, the more you're generous towards you, others and God will be. That makes absolutely no sense. I've read the spreadsheet. I got the Excel database. It just doesn't add up. And you know the reason why? It's because this is not natural. This is supernatural. See, oftentimes what we think is in terms, of, in terms of principles of economics and of culture. See, when it comes to money, cultural economics, it's, it's different. People tend to think, especially in America, in terms of socialism or capitalism. See, when we think about money, we, we think of things like socialism, where it says that the, the poor are good and the rich are bad that the rich don't really deserve it. They probably stole from somebody. There's dead bodies in a closet somewhere. And so we need to take the money from the rich and then we need to distribute it down to the poor because the poor are the good people and what well, we want to have equality for all. And so we're going to take from the rich like Robin Hood and we're going to give it down to the poor. And that's how some people think. And then other people think, no, 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 that's backwards. Okay, you know, poor people are bad. Rich people are good. And so what we need to do is you need to get a job. You need to work a little bit harder. You need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's really your own fault. You need to be rich like us because the richer you are, the more you control everything. And then as you control it, the more money you make, the more money you get, the more blessed you are. Well, let's pursue after that. That's the way that the culture tends to think, but the Bible thinks a little bit different. The Bible doesn't think in terms of socialism or capitalism. The Bible thinks in terms of the kingdom. And when it comes to the kingdom, the economics of the kingdom are different than the cultures of the world. As Christians, we do not live according to the culture. We live according to the kingdom. And in the kingdom, guess who's the king? God. And as the king, he determines where his money goes. As the king, he owns the banks. As the king, he runs the economy. As the king, he determines who gets what because all authority belongs to him. It's good to be the king and it's a good thing because God is a good king. And so God, he determines where the money goes. It doesn't make sense because it's not natural. It's actually supernatural. And you and me, when we are generous, we are reflecting the heart of the kingdom of God. And guess what God loves to do? God loves to bless those who bless others. That as we are generous, God is more generous towards us. That as we give, God, he trusts us. As we bless others, God, he loves to bless us. And here's the reason why. Because it's a steward. That it's a steward mentality. We know that God owns everything, and then God distributes it to us so that way we can go and share it to others. It's a steward mentality that he is the king and we are his stewards, that he is the owner and we are the managers. And the more he can see us using his money in wise ways, the more he trusts us with his money because he knows we're going to get his work done. Just think about it. I'm going to give you a simple analogy. God's a father. We're kids. And so for those of you who are parents, just imagine this. Imagine yourself that you need to get some groceries and you're a little busy at the house and you don't have time to do it. And so you go to one of your kids, maybe a teenager, and you say, all right, I'm gonna give you 20 bucks. Go pick up some groceries for the family. I need some milk. Would you go get some milk for us? Here's 20 bucks, get you something, you know, whatever, something small, okay, and then bring me back the change. So as a dad, you, you hand the kid 20 bucks, they get on their bike, they ride off to the store, and then they come back and you're like, okay, Johnny, let me see, what'd you get? Well, dad, I was gonna get the milk for the family, but... I saw this Red Bull and I thought, I have to have it. 
And so I bought Red Bull and Bluebell, and I got these cool sunglasses. Well, where's the money at? Oh, I didn't have enough money after I spent it on all of my stuff. Sorry, Dad. Could you send me back to the store, give me another $20, and I'll go do it again? Dad's like, all right, here's another 20 bucks. Go to the store, bring me back some milk, and bring me back some change. The kid comes back, and he's got video games, and he's got beef jerky, and he's just loaded up. And you're like, hey, where's the, where's the milk? Sorry, Dad, I didn't have any money left over. You didn't give me enough money. I spent all of the money. I didn't have anything to provide for the family. Now, as a father, do you think I'm going to give that kid another 20 bucks? No. Right? What I'm going to do is I'm going to practice wisdom for parenting on that kid. And then I'm going to give another kid 20 bucks, and hopefully I can buy milk for less than $40. That's the same way God thinks. That God sees us as his kid, and when we go and we blow his money on our needs and don't take care of the family, then he's not going to trust us with more. See, why would God trust you with more of his money when you're not trustworthy with his money? Why would God shovel out, give out more of his resources when we're not using his resources wisely? This is the way that a steward thinks, that we're getting a return on his investment. And the more that we see and the more that we serve and the more that we love and the more that we give, the more God trusts us with the money that he gives. This is how a steward, a steward works. Now, the question often becomes like this. Well, the more I give, the more I get. Mm, no, that's not necessarily what we're saying. See, in the church especially, there's a big problem with what's known as prosperity theology versus poverty theology. See, some people, you've heard about prosperity theology. Prosperity theology would say this, that the more we give, the more we get. And so we're going to give God $100, and he's going to give us $1,000, and then we could go get a new roof for our house because God wants us to wear the nicest of clothes. Okay, that's prosperity theology. We abhor the prosperity theology here. Because why would a gospel be more true in America than it is for China? Does that mean that God loves the Chinese church less because they're living in, in poverty and because they're meeting in secret churches in the shadows, afraid that they're going to be murdered? No, that's not true. That's, that's prosperity theology. That's wrong. Other people, they hold to what's known as poverty theology. Poverty theology say, no, no, no. God wants you to be poor and lowly. God wants you to be humble. He doesn't want you to, 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 he doesn't want you to have anything nice because that's going to teach you really how to depend on him. Right? That's not true either. Remember, God's not concerned with rich or poor. God wants to know, are you wise? Wisdom, kingdom, is Proverbs theology. Proverbs theology would say this. The more you give, the more God trusts you. The more generous you are, the more God trusts you. The more you serve others, the more opportunities God will give you to serve others. And here's where this is so important. Because as we give and God blesses and takes care of us, here's, here's what we, we see. Is that God doesn't raise your standard of living. People think, if I give, then God's going to give back, and then I can go buy all the things that I really want to have, and then I can get that promotion, I can get that job, and I can get that car, and I can get that house. Woohoo! Yay! God raises my standard of living. Wrong. God raises your standard of giving. When God gives, he expects us to give more. When God gives, he expects us to give back, because we're his stewards, and he is our king. You can't outgive God. That as we give, God gives. As we serve, we're served. As we bless others, God blesses us. The one who waters others will himself be watered. That's God trusting you. The third, fourth point is very similar, but it's a little bit different. So let's take a look at it. Here's what it says. If you want to be wise, it says to be honoring. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Y'all knew this one was coming. 
Okay, wisdom for money. One important thing you need to do is you need to be honoring. That word honor, it means a worth. It means a weightiness. It means ascribing worth to. It means this, giving someone their due. Proverbs says, you want to be wise with your money? Here's the wisest thing that you will do. Honor the Lord. Here's the wisest thing that you could do is that you would give God his due. This is talking about the tithe. Okay, a tithe, it means a 10%. That it says here, first fruits, that's first and best. What that means is God is in the top position, that God is first, that God is foremost, that God, he is, he is in the top priority when it comes to your wealth and your resources and your finances, that God is in the number one position, first in fruits, first and best, before anything goes out, before you touch it, before you, before you spend it, before you invest it, before you save it, here's what happens. Before it goes out, it's supposed to go up. This is what's known as a tithe. A tithe means 5%. Okay, some people say, I tithe 5%. Okay, let's do the math. Five is not 10. Okay, some people are like, I tithe 5%. That's a five, that's not a tithe. Okay, a tithe is 10%. And other people, like, you just give 20 bucks. Thank you, we greatly appreciate it. Okay, thank you so much. But still, that's not necessarily a tithe. Here's what a tithe is. A tithe is 10% first and best given to the Lord before it goes out, the tithe is supposed to go up. Okay, now some of you are thinking right now, you're like, Byron, didn't we already talk about this? Didn't you already hit this in the generosity section? Why are you talking about this again? Haven't we already covered this? Are you gonna take up a second offering? No, but there is a box in the back, you're welcome. Okay, here's the reason why we're gonna say this, okay? This This is super important. I said this before and it got me in a little bit of trouble, but I'm, I'm going to say it again um, because, well, whenever I've not really gotten in trouble. See, y'all love it whenever I preach truth, right? Come for the Mark series and it's all truth, all in your face. People say, I love it when you tell the truth. Don't hold anything back. I love that about you. And then whenever I come and talk about money, people are like, ooh, too much truth. This is important. I need you to hear this. Tithing is not generous. Tithing is obedience. Do you know why? Because the tithe doesn't belong to you. He says, honor, give God his due. The tithe belongs to him. You can't give away what doesn't belong to you. The tithe is not generous. The tithe is obedience. The tithe belongs to him. And here's where this makes sense, is that generosity is where God trusts you. You're a blessing, God's going to bless you. You're a steward, God's going to give you resources. The tithe, however, is when you learn to trust God. See, generosity is where God says, I can trust him. But tithing is where you can say, I can trust him. The tithe is not you being generous. The tithe is you being obedient. The tithe says, God, I'm going to honor you with my wealth. God, I'm going to trust you with my resources. God, I know that I can do more on 90% honoring you than I could do on 100% not honoring you. This is the way that the tithe works. Here's how it goes. God says, 100% of your money is really my money. I'm going to give you access to my money. All I'm asking for is a percentage back. Okay, how many of you, if we're we're going to do a percentage, and I would say, here's $1,000. Just give me a little bit back. Well, how much would be fair? Would it be 50-50? Would that be fair? How many of you would be like, that's a good deal. Okay, I'll take 50-50. 
Okay, how many of you think 90-10 is even a better deal? Okay, yeah, I'll give you 1,000, you give me 10 back. Oh, that sounds like a really good deal. I'll, I'll, I'll take that all day long. That's exactly what God is doing. He says, will you trust me with 90% of my money? I can do more for you on 90% than you could do for yourself with 100%. This is the principle that's known as the tithe, that we honor the Lord with our wealth, the first fruits of our produce. Before it goes out, it goes up because it does not belong to us. It really belongs to him. This is what a tithe is. The tithe is not generosity. The tithe really is obedience. And here's, here, here's where the problem comes in. Some of you are new Christians. Some of you, you just got saved. You're new to faith. You're new to the church. You're in a community group. You went to Next Steps. You got in a serve team. You're fired up. You're passionate. You're like, yes, I love Jesus. And you come and all of this is brand new. And you think, I've never heard this before. And so for you, you don't tithe, not out of disobedience, but really because nobody taught you. And that's the reason why you don't do it. And you know whose fault that is? It's not your fault. Do you know whose fault that is? That's my fault. It's my fault. Because I didn't teach you. I didn't teach you due to the one thing that God promises to bless you with in amazing ways. I robbed you. I'm sorry for that. And you know why I didn't do it? Because I was scared. Because I was worried that people would get offended because I was worried that people were going to leave. I have no problem teaching about culture or sexuality or abortion or any of those things, but when it comes to money, my goodness, that shows us there's a real problem in the church about the subject of money. We love to talk about other people, but we don't like to talk about ourselves. And you know what? I was scared. And through my fear of man, I was unable to teach you how to fear the Lord. And I'm sorry for that. I have robbed you. If I could go back in our church and we could reprint this church all over again, there's two things I would do. I would pray bigger prayers and I would teach you how to honor the Lord with your wealth. And so I'm sorry for that. Hopefully today that begins to change. That you could see the blessing that comes along through the obedience to God. Others of you, you're Christians and you've been Christians for a while. And for you, you're like, yeah, I got it. I love tithing. You couldn't pay me not to tithe. Because, because you know, I couldn't afford to pay you not to tithe because God blesses you far more than anything in this world. You know the joy that comes from tithing. And in others, you know, you, you, you've been Christians, you've been Christians for a while, and you still don't tithe. Okay, and here's the reason why. Because you've been, you've been in the church and you found the loopholes. Okay, you found the loopholes in the Bible that, 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 that kind of release you from the tithe. And here's, here's what you would say. You would say the tithe is Old Testament. Okay, we're under the New Testament now. Say the tithe is the law, and now we're under grace. The tithe is the old, and now we're under the new, and so we don't have to tithe anymore because that's the law. Why are we going back to the law whenever we have grace? Okay, great, good, good. You would practice what's known as grace giving according to 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. Okay, some of you are like, Byron, you're way over my head right now. That was just enough just talking about honoring. Now we're talking about grace giving. I'm so, I'm so, I'm so, but here's the deal. If you do this, you know exactly, because I'm talking to you. You practice what's called grace giving, and you would say, the tithe is the law, and now we're under grace, and so we don't have to tithe. And here's, I agree with you, but here's the problem, is most people who believe in grace giving actually give less than the tithe. Most people who say, oh, I grace give, use it as an excuse to give less. And so let me just think about it. Paul says that generosity giving should be cheerful, 
regular, and sacrificial. Okay, for those who are cheerful, okay, do you give cheerfully? Okay, or do you give begrudgingly? Do you give regularly? Okay, grace givers, do you give regularly? What about sacrificially? What does sacrificially look like? Okay, and so you would say, this is the way that I'm supposed to give. And what I've discovered is typically people tend to give less than what the tithe even suggests. Okay, the top couple questions, for those of you who are like, okay, we're in the law, we're in the law. First thing is, okay, the tithe goes all the way back before the law till Melchizedek in the book of Genesis. Proceeds the law by about 800 years. So it precedes the law. Jesus even commends the law later on through the tithe when he's talking to the Pharisees. But here's the deal. As Christians, have we received more or less than old covenant believers? More. As new covenant Christians, has God blessed us more or less than old covenant believers? More. As Christians who have the deposit of the Holy Spirit, the seal of salvation in our hearts, the fullness of God, the eternal security of the believer, have we received more or less than the old covenant believers? More. As Americans who live in the most wealthiest, prominent society in the history of the world, have we received more or less than the old covenant believers 3,000 years ago in Jerusalem? More. So let me ask you this question. Why would God expect less out of those he has given more? Does Jesus ever lower the standard? I can't remember anywhere when I read through the Gospels where Jesus lowers the standard. Jesus says things like this. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery in his heart. You would say, do not murder. But I would say, do not hate. Jesus always raises the bar. He never lowers the standard. Why would grace lower the standard of what God has for us in our lives? Why would grace diminish the goodness of God in our life? Why would grace take away when God has so much more? Is as Christians, should we love God more or less? More. As Christians, should we serve God more or less? More. As Christians, should we be more grateful or less grateful? More. As Christians who have everything God promises to us, should we honor God more or less? Honor the Lord with your wealth. Trust in God. Honor him with your wealth. We can do more on 90% than we could do on 100% without him. And, and here's why this is important. I'm not trying to get money from you. Our church, we're doing okay. We're not doing great. People aren't going to write a book about us. But you know what? We're not doing bad either. We pay our bills every month. Okay? We have a couple part-time employees that, that work for us here at the church. We're very grateful for them. We have missionaries we send out. We have missionaries we support. Okay, we're doing okay. The budget for us as a church is about $225,000 a year. That's not bad. Hey, but just think about it. What would our church look like if, if we got this? What would Redemption Church look like? Just imagine with me if everyone in our church were to do the bare minimum that God expects out of us, that tithe. Okay, what would our church look like? Okay, right now we're about 300 people who call Redemption home and our budget's about $225,000 a year. But if we were just to do the bare minimum, the average income for Beaumont is about $46,000 a year. What that comes out to is $1.4 million for us as a church. 
$1.4 million starting on Monday. That is incredible. What would our church look like? What would our church be able to do if all of us, we got this? We could do anything. Our church would be unstoppable. Our church would be the kind of kingdom movement that God dreams for the church to be. And people wonder, how come there's so much suffering in the world? How come there's so much problems in the world? How come there's so much, there's so much pain in the world? How come there's so much problems and suffering and evil happening in this world? And God says, I don't know because I've already given the answer to your prayers. It's just in your wallet. He says, I have given you everything you need if you would just trust me with what I have already given you. Just think about what the church would look like. Just think about all the missionaries we could send. Just think about the water filters that we could purchase. Just think about how we could end poverty in the world. Just think about how the church could be the kingdom force that God envisioned the church to be. Just think about us here as our church. What would our church look like? We wouldn't be in this building. You know, we rent this building. We do not own this building. We rent it. We have been perpetual renters since the day that our church got started. And I don't believe that God just wants us to rent. I believe that God wants us to put down stakes in the heart of the city where every man, woman, and child can experience life change through Jesus. That the city of Beaumont knows redemption is here and redemption ain't going nowhere. What would our church look like? We wouldn't be in an old warehouse. We wouldn't be in a bar. We could move across the street to 155,000 square foot old abandoned vacant first Baptist downtown. We could buy that building across the street, straight up cash. We could buy that building and we could turn it into a music venue. We could turn it into a coffee shop restaurant. We could turn it into a place where young entrepreneurs and small businesses have an affordable place to where they could launch their businesses. They could run their organizations. We could turn it into a library. We could turn it into a ministry operation. We could let other ministries begin to meet out of our church. Here's what we could do. We could raise up new leaders, raise up new pastors. We could create opportunities for homeless ministry, for outreach ministry, for single moms ministry, for special needs ministries. We could totally be a community center in this city where the doors are open, not just on Sunday, but every day to where this city knows Redemption Church is here for them. And I ain't even done yet. That church could be filled with 500 people every single service. That's your friends. That's your family members. That's your brothers. That's your sisters. That's your coworkers. Those are the people you've been praying for. Just imagine that whole place filled with people worshiping, loving, serving, praising, giving their lives to Jesus, stepping in those waters for baptism. Just imagine that. And you know why I believe every seat in that building will be filled? It's because God honors those who honor him. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And so when when Proverbs says, God is going to fill your barns so that your vats are going to be bursting with new wine, I don't believe new wine looks like new cars. I don't believe new wine looks like new houses. I don't believe new wine looks like new clothes. I don't believe new wine looks like new watches. You know what new wine looks like? New wine looks like new life. And when we trust God with our wealth, we will see God do amazing things through our lives. Honor him. Which leads to the last point. If you want to be wise with your money, 
You need to be blessed. How many of you would love to be blessed? You're like, yes, Lord, please bless me. Best life, blessed life. Okay, here, here's what Proverbs says. You want to be blessed? This is what you get. Proverbs 3, 13 through 16. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. The gain that comes from her is better than the gain of silver. It's better than her profit of gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare to her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand, there are riches and honor. Proverbs says, blessed is the one who gets rich. No. Proverbs say, blessed is the one who gets money. No. Is to say, blessed is the one who gets a million followers on Instagram, who has a lifestyle of the rich and famous, is on MTV Cribs. Blessed is the one who gets the promotion. Blessed is the one who has the biggest house. Blessed is the one who drives the nicest car. Blessed is the one who has the biggest flat screen TV. Is that who's blessed? Is that who's blessed? No. Here's what Proverbs says. Blessed is the one who gets wisdom. See, in our lives, we think we need more wealth. Proverbs would say, no, you need more wisdom because wisdom proceeds wealth. Wisdom is greater than wealth. Wisdom is more important than wealth. Wisdom is more important than anything. If you could have one thing, this is the one thing that you need. Proverbs says, you need to get wisdom. See, in our lives, we think, I want to be rich. I need more money. I got to have more money. I want more money so I can buy more things, so I can impress people that don't even like. We want this money. And many people, they give their lives, they they find their happiness, their joy, their satisfaction. And if I could just get more money, then I will finally be happy. That's foolishness. The book of 1 Timothy, Paul says that many of people have shipwrecked their life and suffered many pangs because they have pursued after money and even rejected and walked away from the faith. Pursued after money and possessions and passions will destroy you. It will never begin to satisfy you. See, here's what a couple of people said. They asked Henry Ford at the end of his life, they said, what was it like to invent the automobile? And here's what he said. I was happier when I was a mechanic. They asked Andrew Carnegie, who was the inventor of steel, and here's what he says. He says, the more money I made, the more miserable I became. Because money, it doesn't really buy happiness. Money, it only fuels temptations and sin for some. And then at the end of his life, they asked John D. Rockefeller, the richest man who's ever lived in the history of America. They said, how much money does it take for you to be happy? And you know what he said? Just a little bit more. Because he was never truly satisfied. They asked his assistant after he died, how much money did Rockefeller leave behind? And you know what she said? All of it. Money doesn't, because you can't take it with you. Money doesn't satisfy. Money doesn't provide the security you think it does. Money doesn't save you. Money, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't meet your greatest, deepest need. But do you know what does? Wisdom. That wisdom meets the greatest need. And redemption, we've been studying this book for almost 10 weeks. Who is wisdom? Jesus. See, wisdom is not a proverb. Wisdom is a person. And his name is Jesus. And if you want to get wisdom, you really need to get Jesus. Just read this again. Blessed are those who find Jesus. Blessed are those who find Jesus and gain salvation. For Jesus is more profitable than silver. Jesus yields better return than gold. Jesus is more precious than rubies. Jesus is more precious than anything. Nothing you can have desire can compare to Jesus. Long life, eternal life, abundant life is in his right hand. And in Jesus' left hand, there are riches and honor forever. The wisest thing you will ever do in your life is to give your life to Jesus. So back to the question. 
Does God want you to be rich or poor? Wrong question. God wants you to be like Jesus. God wants you to be like wisdom. So let me ask you this. Was Jesus rich or was Jesus poor? The answer is he was both. I got a verse for you. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that even though he was what the word? For our sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. Jesus Christ, rich. In heaven, rich. Worshiped by angels, surrounded by angels singing, holy, 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 glory, 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 in heaven, eternity past, rich. You know how rich they are in heaven? They have streets of gold there. Do you know how rich you have to be to say, what do we do with all this gold? I don't know. Let's use it for asphalt. Like that's how rich heaven is. They have seas of crystal. That's how rich he is. Jesus in heaven, was he rich? Yes. And then Jesus saw you in your poverty and said, you are broken. You are flawed. You are poor in spirit and in heart. You are bent in, depraved in sin, destined for a life separated from me. And Jesus saw you in your poverty. And he said, I love them so much, I'm going to give it all up for them. And Jesus leaves heaven and he is born into this world. And as Jesus was born, he was not born in a palace, he was born in a barn, in a manger. As Jesus grew up, his mother was a poor single teenage girl. And he was adopted by a blue-collar rural carpenter named Joseph. And they were so poor that they couldn't even afford to pay the temple tax. And they couldn't even afford to make the sacrifices for their own sins. And so instead of bringing a lamb or a sheep or a goat, they brought a pigeon because they couldn't even afford to pray. And as he grows up, he goes into ministry. And Jesus, he becomes even poorer. It says the foxes have their dens and the birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus couldn't afford to feed his friends. That's why he had to take a Hebrew Lunchable from a little boy, multiply it, and feed 5,000 men plus women and children. Jesus couldn't afford to pay his taxes, so what he had to do is he had to go fishing and pull a coin out of a fish's mouth. Yeah, how many of you are going fishing later tonight? You're like, I need that. Jesus goes to the cross, and after he dies, they can't even afford to bury him. So he has to borrow a tomb from another man named Joseph of Amatharia. And then three days later, Jesus resurrects from the grave, conquering your sin, conquering your death, taking your debt for your own poverty upon himself, ascends to the right hand of the Father. And the last thing in John 16, he tells his disciples in that upper room before his death, you know what he says? I'm going to prepare a place for you. And Jesus is in heaven, rich. And you know what? For those of you who trust in him, who place your faith in him, here's the beautiful thing. Whether you're rich or poor, this life is the closest you will ever be to hell. But if you reject him, if you are foolish, this is as rich as you'll ever be. And this is as close to heaven as you will ever get. God don't care if you're rich. God don't care if you're poor. God wants to know, are you foolish? The foolish reject him. The wise accept him. Get wisdom. It's better than your money. That's what Proverbs wants you to know. It's not rich. It's not poor. It's foolish or wise. That's your choice. So let me close with some application for you. It would be 
foolish for us to get some wisdom and then walk out the door and not do anything with it, right? That ain't smart. So we need to get some wisdom. Proverbs is practical, so I'm going to give you five practical things that you can do today for you to get wisdom. The first thing is this. Start tithing. All right, if you don't tithe, take that step in obedience and begin tithing. Okay, just, just take that step. Just, just give God, trust God, step out, put him to the test, give it a shot, see how it works. I've been tithing for 12 years and I still haven't died. You're going to be okay. You can do it. I would say start tithing, give it a shot. If today you're willing to say, Byron, I'm going to, I'm going to start tithing. I believe God's going to bless you and I want to be first in line for the blessings that God's going to do in your life. And so I have a couple of books left. We've already given out almost 30 of them today. As people have taken that step, I got two more left, but I will order you this book. I want to be the first in line for your blessing and I'm going to give you this book tonight. This book's called The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. It's one of my favorite books. I read it about three times a year. It's a short book, and it's been such a blessing to me. Much of this sermon today came from this book. It has been so, so much of a blessing, and I want to be that blessing for you. He writes for Desiring God Ministries. He's the president of Crown Financial Ministries. It is a super helpful resource. And if you say, Byron, I'm going to do this. I don't want to bribe you, but I do want to bless you. So this one's for you. If you do decide, you can do it by cash or check, drop it in the basket. You can give online at www.redemptiontx.com. All you got to do is click the blue button, and there you go. That's your step. The second thing I would tell you, if you want to be wise, make a budget. We printed out these budget forms for every single person in the church. Okay, here's a budget for you. Okay, no excuse. Just get one on your way out. Here is a budget. Sit down tonight, whether it's by yourself, with a roommate, or with your spouse. Wear your PJs, get you some nice... Bluebell and make this in a happy, fun way because it might frustrate you a little bit, but make yourself a budget. Some people are like, I don't need to plan, I pray. Well, you need to play, pray about that because that's not a good plan, All right? Because to fail to plan is to plan to fail. Make yourself a budget. Give yourself that raise. The number three thing you do is read Proverbs. I read Proverbs this week and there's over a hundred verses in Proverbs about money. I only preached over five of them. Right, we could be here for another three hours if I were to keep preaching. Right, so here's what you do. Proverbs every single day. More wisdom than Dave Ramsey, that's for sure. Keep reading Proverbs every single day. The fourth thing is become a member. In our membership class that starts in a couple of weeks, it's our summer group. It's seven weeks long. The fourth week of membership is over stewardship. We're going to help you make a budget. We're going to walk through some of your finances. We're going to pray for you, give you some resources. We're going to create some opportunities. We're going to teach you a theology of money and of stewardship. So if you are not yet a member, sign up at the Connect Desk. Become a member today. And then the last thing, number five, come forward for prayer. See, some of you today, you come here and things are not going well and you hear a sermon over money and it makes you feel very guilty. And you say, Byron, I would love to be able to do that, but Byron, I'm hurting, I am struggling. I'm the one who posted looking for prayer requests. Do you know what? We're here for you. So one of the reasons why we give is so we can take care of members of our church. And you might not be in a place to where you can give. Right now, you might be in a place to where you need to just rent. Do you know that as a church, we... We have benevolence every single month where we take care of people's rent. We help people who are down on their luck. We help people who have lost their jobs. We buy groceries for couples and for people in our church. Did you know that we do that? We do that for members of our church because we love you. You're such a blessing to us. We want to bless you. And so maybe right now you're not in a place to where you can give. Guess what? Guess what 10% of zero is? Zero. Right now you might just need some prayer. 
you might be in a place to where it's a struggle, to where it's hard, to where you're hurting, to where, and it's just hard for you. You know what? We're here for you. Don't leave this place without receiving the blessing God has for you. So at the end of the service, please come forward for prayer. We have a prayer team who they want to pray for you. If you hear this and you think, oh my God, I feel worse, you're missing it. You're supposed to be wise. You're not supposed to be beat up. You're supposed to be built up. It's not about guilt. It's about grace. It's about God wanting to do something in your life that you could never even imagine because now you got wisdom. That's what really matters. Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. Oh.